So in our text, we find ourselves in the middle of a conversation that the Lord Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, this section of John's gospel is actually the second of three encounters that Jesus is having with three different types of people. And so if you're familiar with the book of John, uh, you know that Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3. Here in our text in chapter 4, this Samaritan woman. And then at the end of chapter 4, a conversation with a Roman official. Now, in giving these accounts, John has a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose is to demonstrate that Jesus came to save all kinds of people. Jesus came to save all kinds of people. And so in these three accounts, you have religious and non-religious. You have Jew, you have Gentile, male, female, moral, immoral. And the very fact that Jesus is here talking to a Samaritan woman was so unusual that John actually makes a note of it in verse 9 of chapter 4 when he says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And throughout the course of the conversation, the Lord Jesus is slowly unfolding his identity to her. And so in verse 18, the Lord Jesus displays supernatural knowledge about her life and her past. And she acknowledges that Jesus is a prophet. And then they interestingly get into a discussion about worship. Now, a theological dispute had arisen between the Samaritans and the Jews over where was the proper place to worship. But as he often does, the Lord Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, and beginning in verse 21, he corrects her understanding. And in doing so, we learn a number of things about the nature of of true worship. Now, as we said last week, this is something that is important for all of us because no matter what issue it is that you're dealing with in your life, how you respond ultimately comes down to this question of worship. That is, what is it that you value? Worthship, ascribing worth or value. Because what we value influences how we think. And how we think influences how we act. And how we act influences how we live. And so the stakes could not be any higher because how we live ultimately influences where we spend eternity. And so I want to look at our text and I want us to notice three things about the nature of true worship. I'm actually going to read it again. God is, uh, the hour is coming and is now here, verse 23, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There's three things I want us to notice about the nature of true worship. One, true worship is acceptable through the Son. 
True worship is acceptable through the Son. Two, true worship is accompanied by the Spirit. Accompanied by the Spirit. And then third, true worship is according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. First, true worship is acceptable through the Son. Look at that phrase in verse 23. The Lord Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here. Now, when we see that phrase, the hour is coming and is now here, it's meant to alert us because it's a phrase that's repeated often in the book of John. This hour to come refers to the time of Jesus' death, his crucifixion. And so we see throughout the Gospel of John, in John 7.30, it says, They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. In John 8.20, again, it says, But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. In chapter 12, verse 27, as the Lord Jesus contemplates his death, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. And then just before he's arrested in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. The hour to come is speaking about the work of Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And so question, why does Jesus say the hour is coming and is now here? That seems like an oxymoron. Well, which is it? Is it coming or is it now here? Well, in saying that the hour is coming, Jesus is alerting the Samaritan woman that as it relates to worship, there's a monumental shift coming in terms of how we understand it. And that shift is coming at his death and resurrection. But in saying that, the hour is now here, he's saying, he's directing her attention to himself, and he's saying that he's the one who's actually bringing the shift. So there's a shift coming through the death and resurrection of Christ, and he says to her, you're looking at him. He's the shift. Jesus is the shift. True worship must go through the Son of God. Well, then the question becomes, well, well, what about the temple, right? We have the Old Testament. We have all of these rules and regulations for worship, these, these sacrifices, all of these things happening in the temple. What's happening? Is that being done away with? Well, yes, because Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the temple. Everything that was going on in Old Testament worship was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus himself. And so true worship is acceptable only through the Son. We worship God by honoring his way of approach to him. 
And the way that God has given for us to approach him is not to go into his presence on our own without a mediator, but to go through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we honor God, or we worship God by honoring his way of approach. It's the beautiful thing about testimonies. I love to hear the story of how different people came to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so encouraging. You want your soul to be encouraged this week? Ask someone, ask one of your brothers or sisters, how did you come to know the Lord? Because even though the stories and the details of the stories may be all different, at the end of the day, we all come the same way through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whether you were five or 50, whether you grew up in a Christian home or not, this is what happened. At some point, by God's grace, you understood that God was righteous. And at some point, in light of understanding that God is righteous, you understood that in light of his righteousness, that you are a sinner. And then at some point, by the grace of God, you understood that you deserve to be punished for your sin. And then, at some point, you heard the good news. You heard that old story about how God sent his son into the world to save sinners. You heard about how Jesus lived a completely perfect life in your place. You heard about how he died on the cross as a substitute. You heard about how he rose from the grave with all power in his hands. And then you heard that if you believe the promise that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that that applied to you, that it wasn't just somebody's sins out there somewhere, but it was your sins that he died on the cross for. And then you believed that promise of God and you were saved from the wrath to come. It's what happened to all of us. It's how we got in. And if you're not a Christian, this morning, it's the same for you. That's how you get in, by trusting and believing in this Jesus, the gospel. For the Christian, believing in Christ, that was our actual first act of true worship to God. And it's not just the first act, but it's a continual acting throughout the life of a Christian. We continually come to God through the Son over and over and over again, day after day after day until we meet him in glory. And even when we're in glory, we will be relating to God through the lamb who was slain. We're never going to stop singing about the lamb who was slain. It's how we come to God. We honor God in true worship by coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. You know, this is why we pray in Jesus' name, right? We've said this before. In Jesus' name is not just a cute thing that you just tag at the end of your prayer. 
There's deep theology in that phrase, in Jesus' name. We're saying, we can't come to you, Father, holy God, jealous God, whose name is jealous. We can't come to you in our own name. How dare we? No. We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and all of our prayers are filtered through the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we come in Jesus' name. It's also why we're not to pray to saints or to angels or to Mary, as in Roman Catholicism. Why? Because Mary did not die on the cross for our sins. It's blasphemous to attempt to come through someone else. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. When we confess our sins to God, what are we doing? We're acknowledging God's holiness. We're acknowledging that we've fallen short of his glory. We're acknowledging that we need an atonement for our sin. We're acknowledging that God has made provision for that atonement in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we ask for forgiveness on the basis of that work. We honor God in true worship, even through confessing our sins, because we're coming to God in the way that he has appointed the Lord Jesus. You know, when we take the Lord's Supper tonight, Lord willing, as an act of corporate worship, we will be remembering what Jesus did in his death, his resurrection, in that we will honor God by coming through the Son. It's why Christ is preached here every single week. If you've been coming for long enough, you may have had this sense of, wait a second, no matter what text they're speaking on from the Bible, I'm always hearing about Jesus. Why is that? Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Jesus says in John 5, you you study the scriptures because in the scriptures you think you, you have eternal life. The scriptures are talking about me. And Jesus was talking about the Old Testament right there. It's all about the Lord Jesus. He's the point. He's the point of the Bible, and he's the point of the universe. All things were made through him and for him. Jesus is the point. Jesus is telling this Samaritan woman, don't get stuck on the location. You're trying to, one, cover up the sin that I just exposed by talking about worship on this mountain and on that mountain. You're missing the point. It's not about where you go. It's about Jesus. For the Christian, there is no holy land. The holy land for the believer is the new Jerusalem. And the reason why the new Jerusalem is the holy land is because the lamb is there. And so wherever we are, when we come to God through Jesus Christ, that is a holy place. Revelation 21 verse 22, the scene of heaven, it says, I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God the Almighty, and the Lamb. Temple was a shadow pointing to the reality of Christ. You can take a trip to Israel, and I'm sure it's great. I've heard wonderful things. I'd like to go myself. 
But please understand, when you go, it's, it should not be to get closer to God. We get closer to God through trusting in Jesus Christ. Whether we're in Israel, or Northern Virginia, or Philly, or Chicago, or Bangkok. Our worship is acceptable to God when it comes through Jesus Christ. It's not about the Holy Land, L-A-N-D. It's about the Holy Lamb, L-A-M-B. You know, we're in a nice building right now. Praise God, this, this is a really nice building. It feels, I almost feel like a Puritan up here. Like, <laughs> like it's a nice building. Praise God for this building. But this building is not the church. We are the church. 1 Peter 2.5 says of the church, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. True worship is acceptable only through the Son. Not only that, but true worship is accompanied by the Spirit. Let's read again verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See the word spirit mentioned three times in these verses. Now, now why do I say it's accompanied by the Holy Spirit? Because I don't, I don't think he's talking about the Holy Spirit in the three times that he mentions it. He's talking about, he's talking about our spirit. But, but why do I say accompanied by the Spirit? Well, in order for us to understand worship, Jesus says something important about the nature of God in verse 24. He says, God is spirit. Now, whenever we see that phrase, God is, followed by a word, we should pay, pay close attention because it's telling us about the nature and character of our God. We saw that last week with the Lord is jealous. But in considering that God is spirit, we could talk about God being invisible, uh, you know, no extension in space. We could talk about him being omnipresent everywhere at the same time, fully present everywhere, but that's actually not at the heart of what the Lord Jesus is talking about here. Those are glorious things, but in this context, Jesus is making a point about how we connect with God. So that means that in order to connect with God, it must be a spiritual connection and not merely external. It must be a spiritual connection and not merely external. And it might seem simple, but here's the problem. We're all born spiritually dead. We're all born with the line cut off between us and God. We notice from Genesis when, when God says to, to Adam, the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely what? You will surely die. Well, we know that Adam and Eve continued to live physically for hundreds of years after that. So what did God mean by you will surely die? He meant that 
that we would be cut off from God spiritually. That as Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, we're born dead in our transgressions and our sins. And it's how all of us come into the world. This is huge. We must be born again. If we're going to truly worship God, we have to be regenerated. We have to experience the new birth. And this is key because there are many people who are doing all kinds of Christian things that externally look like worship, but if it's not coming from a heart that has experienced the new birth from above, it's not true worship. We must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, there's a lot of confusion today about the Holy Spirit. And that's because there have been a lot of crazy things done and blamed on the Holy Spirit, right? We've seen a lot of excesses when it comes to the Spirit. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, that one of Satan's main tools at work today is to create confusion about the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and when it comes to the Spirit, people often fall into one of two errors. So, so you have the you have the overemphasizing of the spirit on this side, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the craziness we see. P- people barking in the name of the spirit, calling that the Holy Spirit, right? Swinging from the chandeliers and blaming it on the Holy Spirit, right? But we see that and we say, okay, that does not honor God. Where in the world is barking in the spirit in the Bible? It's not there. So, so, so we don't want to do that. that that's that's, that's overemphasizing the work of the Spirit, right? It's false. But then, what we often tend to do is say, I don't want to be that, and so we come all the way over here to this other extreme. And that's the extreme of under-emphasizing the Holy Spirit in the sense of acknowledging theologically that there is a such thing as the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't actually, we don't actually truly think about him. He doesn't actually have a role, a conscious role in our lives. We want to avoid those extremes of overemphasizing and underemphasizing. When, 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 when the Holy Spirit is overemphasized, oftentimes the gospel and Jesus Christ get completely minimized. So we're hearing all this stuff about the Holy Spirit, but there's no Jesus and there's no gospel. Well, the Lord Jesus gives us one sure way of knowing whether or not the Spirit is involved in something. In John 15, 26, the Lord Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, he says, when the Helper comes, speaking of the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He says, he will bear witness about me. He will testify about the Lord Jesus. So we don't have have to wonder whether or not the Spirit is involved. Just ask the question, is Jesus being testified to? Is his person and work, are, are they being born witness to? Because that's what Jesus said the Spirit would do. Now, 
that's usually not our particular issue, our particular issue tends to be under-emphasizing. And I just want just to mention two ways that we can fight against the tendency to under-emphasize the Holy Spirit. Two ways that we can fight against the tendency to under-emphasize the Holy Spirit. Number one, take note when you see the Holy Spirit mentioned in Scripture. Just take note of it. Read passages like John 15 and 16 and and Romans chapter 8 and just observe what the Holy Spirit does. I'm a firm believer that there is no spiritual good done in this world of which the Holy Spirit is not the author of it. The Holy Spirit is responsible for a lot of things and we see it throughout the scriptures. You know, if, if you have ever truly worshipped God, ever, you can thank the Holy Spirit because he was at work within you, enabling you to worship God. If you've ever read the Bible and understood anything, praise God for the Holy Spirit. If you've ever resisted a temptation as a Christian, got to thank the Holy Spirit for that. Didn't do it in our own strength. If you've ever, from the heart, cried out to God as Abba, Father, that's the Holy Spirit. If you've ever shared your faith with anybody, accurately, accurately testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. He's doing all kinds of stuff. But if we just kind of tune out and and pretend that he doesn't exist, we're going to close ourselves off to riches, to gifts that are ours in Christ by the Spirit. A second way to avoid this temptation to underemphasize the Spirit is to pray biblical prayers that relate to the work of the Holy Spirit. Pray biblical prayers that relate to the work of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the Spirit. So we can pray, oh God, I need your help today. Help me to honor you on my job so that I would not grieve your Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. We can pray, God, give us grace that as a church, as Delray Baptist Church, that we would not quench the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 Verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's all kinds of deeds of the body that are ready to just just jump out today after we get home from church. Maybe Maybe on the ride home with our kids. In that moment, we can pray, God, give me the grace that I would kill the sin of anger by the Spirit, that I would kill the sin of doubt 
by the Spirit. Give me grace that I would, that I would kill the sin of fear, fear of man, by the Spirit. Any sin you're struggling with? We all have them. We can go to God and say, God, help me to put it to death by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a good thing to pray for. How many of us want to walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh? You can ask God to help us to do that. Not only just praying that for ourselves, we can pray that for the church. Pray, pray for me. Pray, pray, pray for your elders that we would not gratify the desires of the flesh, but rather walk by the Spirit. Please pray that for me. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Some of us struggle with depression, right? You wake up Monday morning, and all the glories of being in this inner Trinitarian community and fellowship with the Godhead, that's gone. You wake up Monday morning. For some of us, it's a good thing to pray. God, give me, give me your joy. Give me joy by your Holy Spirit, just like you did for the believers in the book of Acts. Fill me with your joy and your Holy Spirit. Before anybody ever comes up to preach before you in this, just say this prayer in your seat. Just if you can remember, as Gary or me or anyone's come up to preach, just say, Lord, fill them with your spirit. The preaching will probably be better if you pray that way. A lot more could be said about this, but, um, but true worship is, it comes through the Holy Spirit. It's accompanied by the Spirit. Finally, according to the Scriptures. True worship is according to the Scriptures. Read it again. The Lord says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I say according to the scriptures because I don't think Jesus is talking about truth in a generic sense here, but I think he's speaking specifically about the word of God. And it's because of two things that Jesus says later in the book of John. One, in John 17, 17, the Lord Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God is truth. In John chapter 6, verse 63, the Lord Jesus says, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And then listen to what he says. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So he's connecting the spirit who gives life with his word, which gives life by the spirit. And so true worship is according to the scriptures. Now, this is important because 
you know, our natural tendency is to come up with our own ideas of how to worship God or how to relate to God. And so I just want to mention a few things about true worship as it's related to the Word of God. And I have three things to mention here. First, true worship accepts and rejoices in God for who his word reveals him to be. True worship accepts and rejoices in God for who his word reveals him to be. And, and, and each one of those phrases is important. So, so it's, not, it's not just merely accepting, right? So we just saw last week, God is a jealous God. Well, it's not just accepting that as though it's like, oh, well, yeah, it says that God is jealous and, well, okay, it's, I believe it because it's there, but I don't have to like it. It's not, that's not the attitude we're talking about. We're talking about the attitude that says, God, this is who you are. This is who you revealed yourself to be. And because as we talked about last week, God is good. Everything about him is good. Then the problem is not that the Bible says that God is jealous. The problem is with my heart. God, give me a heart to delight and enjoy who you've revealed yourself to be. You know, I remember before I was a Christian, I was agnostic. And... I didn't like the God of Christianity. And, and it was because there were certain things about him that I just, didn't, I just didn't agree with. I just thought, you know what? This whole concept of an eternal place of punishment, hell, I reasoned like this. I said, okay, Christianity believes that there's a hell. I don't think that hell is right. So therefore, the God of Christianity can't be true. That's how I thought about it. And you know, it, it wasn't until I came to Christ that I realized how foolish and arrogant that is. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> I'm saying that God disagrees with me, therefore I don't believe that he exists. How foolish is that? We don't do that with anything else. We don't say, you know what? I don't like the law of gravity. So it, it don't exist. There's no such thing. We don't do that. Part of what it means to follow Christ is to acknowledge that we're wrong about our idea of who God is and to turn from that and to accept him for how he has revealed himself, to turn from those wrong conceptions. And we do that as we believe the scriptures. <laughs> Imagine if you were dating somebody and they just kept pictures of their ex. They just kept the pictures around because they, they liked their ex. And so you decide to go shopping. Let's, let's go shopping. And you're trying out some outfits and He's comparing what you're trying on to the picture of the ex and says, ah, uh, you know what, can you put this on? Because this is what she wore. If you're on a date and your date says, you are just absolutely beautiful. 
you remind me so much of my ex in your beauty. Really? Well, that's what we tend to do with God. We tend to say, especially when it comes to hard stuff, like, like the doctrine of election, right? We say, you know, God, I know what your word says, but I want you to be more like this God. And this is the God I'm going to worship. Nah, he's jealous. We must worship God as he has revealed himself, not as we would like him to be. Secondly, true worship must be mindful. It must be mindful. Another way to say that is that it should not be mindless. Christianity is not about emptying our minds, but rather filling our minds with truth about God. We ought to think about what we're singing even. That's why I I love the words of these tunes. (laughs) Be still my soul. That's rich. It's rich with biblical truth. What we sing is way, way more important than the style of it. Way more important. I know our culture puts, puts more emphasis on style over substance. But at the end of the day, if we're going to worship him in truth, and singing is a part of that, then it has to be according to the word. It has to be. Now you see that these things go hand in hand. So spirit, truth, the sun, they all work together. So there's no separating, right? So we, so we shouldn't think about the spirit as separated from the word. No, the spirit works through the word. We shouldn't think about the word as separated from the son. No, the word is about the son. We shouldn't think about the spirit as separate from the son. No, the Holy Spirit testifies about the son. These things all go together. If you have a focus on the spirit without truth, you have blind superstition. But at the same time, if you have truth without spirit, it's cold orthodoxy. You want to avoid both extremes. And then next, true worship must prize God's word. True worship must prize God's word. You know, just consider what we're doing right now. Right now, we're taking the time to sit down and to hear God's word. This, what we're doing right now is an act of worship. We didn't, we didn't stop worshiping once the song stopped. No. Again, what is worship? It's ascribing value. We, we ascribe value to God by humbly receiving what he has to say through his word. You know, in Psalm 119, verse 103, the psalmist has this attitude. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's the attitude we ought to have about the word of God. Now, if that's not true for us, if we can't say that, then again, the problem is not with the word. The problem is with us. 
It's a question of value. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember a time when there was no such thing as caller ID. Some of y'all are like, what? No caller ID. <laughs> Butcher's like, all right, right. Well, back in the day, before there was caller ID, we just basically either had to accept the call and just hope that it wasn't the person that we were trying to avoid. So, hello? Hey, right? That kind of thing. Or if we wanted to get like kind of tricky with it, we have a little system. We say, okay, you know what? Give me a call, let the phone ring twice, then hang up, and then just call me right back again so I know it's you. Right? <laughs> that was before caller ID. Well, now that we have it, we can look and we can see the person that's calling. And then we have sovereignty to just, hmm, do I want to talk to this person? No. Plaka. Right? Or, yeah, I want to talk to this person. What's up? Right? Well, how we decide, <laughs> this is going to be convicting, and some of you might be hurt by this, but how we decide whether or not we're going to answer the phone often depends on a value system. So my wife calls, I better pick up the phone because she's my wife. And how, how dare I not pick up the phone for my wife, right? And she said that to me a couple of times. How dare you not pick up the phone if it's your wife, <laughs> right? Or, you know, if, 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 it's, if it's the annoying person who just needs a whole lot of grace that you feel like, I don't have grace for this person today. You spiritualize, I don't have grace, Lord, for this person today. And you just don't even answer the phone. And it's God's fault because you ain't got the grace to answer the phone. <laughs> right? But if it's that person you just started dating and you actually like that person, you're like, boom. You don't even, you don't even have to let it, you, as soon as you see it, you're picking it up. Or if someone were to say, you know what, there's a possibility no, it's not a possibility. It's guaranteed that you are owed $10 million. And the way you get this $10 million is tomorrow at 6 p.m., we're going to call, pick up the phone. You want to start moving your schedule out the way. You want to start doing whatever you can to be there for that phone call. It's what we value. So why is it that when it comes to God, we often treat him like he's an annoying telemarketer? When, when we wake up and we know that we should spend some time with the Lord, but we just, just ignore the call. When we're, when we're on the internet, on Facebook or Twitter, surfing the web, checking email for the 50th time, and we know that we should spend some time with the Lord, we just ignore the call. If we're going to be true worshipers, we need to repent of that and prize the word of God. Now, I don't want to overlook, uh, as we begin to bring it to a close, I don't, I don't want to overlook what's being said here in verse 23. It says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. It doesn't say that the time is coming 
when true worshipers will worship the judge, although he is a judge. He doesn't say the time is coming when true worshipers will worship the I am, although he is the I am. Hallelujah. But it says that the time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father. That is precious for the believer. And Jesus purchased through his blood our adoption into the very family of God. So we actually know him as Father. Going to truly worship God, we must relate to Him as Father. And I know that's hard for us because of our, for many of us, because of our earthly pictures of what a father is. But let us, by the grace of God, allow the scriptures to inform us who God is as our Father. Worship in spirit and truth is spiritual communion with God the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Trusting the scriptures for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And let me just give a couple examples of just, okay, all right, so what is this going to look like tomorrow? What is this? How, how do we take this and, yeah, how does it have flesh tomorrow? So let's say tomorrow, this week, you are tempted to doubt and you're tempted to fear. For different things that are happening in your life. Just doubt, you just feel gripped with doubt. What are you going to do? How are you going to worship God in that moment? But what you could do is turn to Psalm 62, verse 5 through 8, which says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Oh, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him, for God is a refuge for us turn to that passage. You can embrace it as a promise that's yours through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then by the Spirit, fight and resist temptation. And in that, you're worshiping God. What are you going to do this week when you're tempted to lust? You're tempted to look at something you shouldn't look at. How are you going to worship God in that moment? Here's one thing you could do. You could turn to Psalm 1611, which says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These fleeting pleasures of sin are nothing compared to the pleasure that's in you, God. Give me grace. Give me strength to believe it. And you can fight. And you can glorify God. Because you're coming to him by the Spirit, according to the Word, through the Son. You're tempted to compromise this week because your boss is asking you to do something unethical. Or you have that unbelieving co-worker who just keeps flirting with you. And you're feeling like, I'm going I'm to give in at some point. How are you going to worship God? We just heard it. Psalm 8411 says... The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
And you can believe it by the grace of God. Embrace it as yours through Jesus. And in that, you're worshiping God according to the word, by the spirit, for the exaltation of the son. It's why we exist. And so let us, let us go from here and worship our God in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you (laughs) that he is all that we need, that he's sufficient, that his work is sufficient, that your wrath has been satisfied through him. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the scriptures. Help us, Father, that we would not neglect your gift, but embrace it, receive it. For the glory of your beautiful name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.